Amen. May it be so. You may be seated. And as you do, immediately find your Bible and open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. If you are a guest with us this morning and, and maybe you don't have a Bible, or I suppose if you're a regular attender and you don't have a Bible, there's some in front of the chairs in front of you. And if you're wondering where Romans 8 is, that's on page 1002 in that Bible. And if you don't own your own Bible, we want you to have that Bible as our gift to you this morning. We believe that it is the most important book or thing that you could ever own because it is the very word of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let me explain to you. For those who exist in the flesh have their minds set on the flesh. But those who exist in the spirit have their minds set on the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. For those in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. Now, if the Messiah is in you, the body is dead towards sin, but the Spirit gives life towards righteousness. And the Spirit, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then the Spirit of him who raised Messiah from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. <laughs> this is the word of God. And may God bless the proclamation of his word. You walked in this morning and you didn't have a service guide because I wanted you to have this. So hopefully you got a copy of Romans 8. You can fold it up like this and carry it in your pocket with you. This is my fifth version of Romans 8 because I take it on hikes with me and, and, and I take it in and out of my pocket all day long memorizing and so it gets all worn. And, but I gave you at least one version. And so I hope you'll join in trying to memorize Romans 8. 
Last Sunday was when we began Paul's magisterial argument in this chapter. And, and to help us understand, I gave you that little story of that plant that my wife gave me that I have set next to my, my desk right there in the, the front of our house. And I, and I talked to you about how I started to notice these little buds and then those little buds opened up into these beautiful little teeny bouquets of flowers. And, and if I would have had eyes to see, I would have seen that flower in the stem all along in that plant and and I wanted you to see that Romans 8 is like that, that there's this little bud that we have in chapter one or, or verse one, that, that there, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus and that, that over the course of this chapter, he's going to continue to unpack that. So as we make our way deeper in the argument, we're always gonna fight our way back up to see that it's all leading right back to that reality that there's no condemnation for us because we are, if you are, in Messiah Jesus, that's true for you. But now as he unpacks this petal by petal and layer by layer, he's going to show us more and more how and why that sentence in verse one is true for those who are in Messiah Jesus. So, so let's review how he proved that statement in verses two and four. The, the first step is the principle that the spirit of, of life in Messiah Jesus, that spirit of life in Jesus is what sets us free from the law of sin, from the law which could only bring sin and death. And the reason that the law could only bring sin and death for us is that we could not keep it. It's not because of it, but because it was weakened by our flesh. And so God had to deal with that weakness. And the way that he did that was to send his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering for us. And the reason that he did that was so that the law's requirement could be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now, right at this point in Paul's argument, after he's just said that at the end of verse 4, I think we're in danger of something. I think that we're in danger of once again thinking, because this is always the danger for believers. Family, Martin Luther said, our hearts always stray away from the good news. We're just always inclined to move away from the good news. I was inclined to move away that after believing in Jesus, the idea of living according to the Spirit and fulfilling the law of God and the law of Messiah is dependent on our ability and strength, which then would make that declaration of no condemnation dependent on our effort. And that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. And I think Paul knows that. And so now he needs to make abundantly clear Exactly what it means to live according to the Spirit. Namely, all people exist in one of two realms. That's what he's saying in verse 5. For those who exist according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who exist according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, if you're carefully following along in your Bibles, as I hope you are. You should always follow along carefully in your Bibles to any preacher. You probably noticed I said that sentence slightly differently than what you see in your Christian standard Bible. And you should be asking, 
why is he doing that? And it's because of how I understand the word behind the word live in the CSB in verse 5. And it may be so if you're looking at a different translation. You see, Paul actually uses a word there that means simply to be. It's how we would say she is or you are or I am. It's a word that means simply existence. And the reason that I'm bringing this up at all to you is because I think it is remarkably important to what Paul is saying. If we were to say verse 5 with Paul in the room here with us, if we were to say it as those who live according to the flesh or those who live according to the spirit, I think Paul would say, no, 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 no. That's not what I want about at all. That's just the point I'm trying to make sure you don't get confused on because of what I just said in verse 4. You see, I, I want you to be clear that we all exist as one kind of a person or another. There's a kind of person that exists according to the flesh. They're an unbeliever. And there's a kind of person that exists according to the Spirit. They are a believer. And that's what is so critical to understand for how someone lives. You see, our living flows out of who we fundamentally are, not the other way around. We do not create who we are by how we live. We live because of who we are. Do you see? And the person who exists in the flesh, well, that's how they live. It's what must follow from that existential reality. They have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But the person who exists in the spirit, well, that's how they live. It's what must follow from that existential reality. They have their minds set on the spirit. Are you tracking with me? Paul is describing two types of existence from which follow their expected norms or patterns of behavior. It is what those realities must produce. We say it like this. It's their nature. Well, it's just his nature. It's her nature. Based on your reality and where you currently exist and reside is how you will think. And it will determine what you set your mind on and what you think about. And those things with which you agree. Which is exactly how this word, phraneo, to, to set your mind on, was used in Paul's day. It meant to favor or to side with a particular cause or idea. So, for example, when the Syrian ruler Alexander Epiphanes, in a letter designed to woo, right? So he sends this letter. This is a letter in Paul's day. He sends this letter to woo Jonathan Maccabeus away from loyalty to Alexander's rival, Demetrius. And he uses this word and asks him to take our side. That's our word there. Set your mind. Take our side and keep friendship with us. In other words, Alexander is trying to dispose the mind of Jonathan in a certain way for him and against Demetrius. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here. Depending on what realm you exist in, you dispose of your mind in a certain way. And that realm is working to get you on its side. If you exist in the flesh, 
that then becomes the cause that you are committed to. If you exist in the Spirit, that then is the cause that you are committed to. And these two are rivals grappling for the souls of men and women. And the stakes could not be higher. Because, verse 6, the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Okay. So do, do you see what Paul did there? Paul is so brilliant with his language, isn't he? Those who have set, have their minds set on, create a mind set. Having your mind set on something, working that out, being dedicated to that cause, to that way of thinking, constantly exerting mental effort towards that thing creates a mindset, a habitual or characteristic mental attitude that determines how you're going to interpret and respond to situations. Having your mindset creates a mindset. That makes sense, doesn't it? That if you exert your thinking in a given way toward a given aim over time, you will create a mental attitude that will reflexively respond to situations around you, causing you to see them and interpret them and understand them in a very specific way. It's, it's just like elite athletes who train their bodies in a certain way so that they automatically respond in a given situation, right? Like, so when that ball comes to them on the football field, their bodies automatically... Aren't you just amazed sometimes how those wide receivers, they can just get their toes right on that line and stretch out for the... Why? Did that just happen? No. Or a hockey goalie. When that slap shot is coming at however many miles per hour, isn't it amazing how that glove just goes up? I've seen... Hockey players, when I was a kid and I watched hockey more, seeing hockey players in the, in the locker room, imagine, like you'll see them laying on their backs with their legs up on the bench and they're, they're moving their gloves and they're, they're picturing the entire game happening, right? They, they've trained their bodies to reflexively respond in a given situation so they're ready for that situation. We call it muscle memory. And the muscle of our minds can be trained to work in the same way as the muscles of our bodies with a given response in a given situation. And what Paul is warning here is that the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. He couldn't be more stark, could he, in his contrast? These two modes of existence with their two different norms and expected patterns of behavior bring a person to two very different destinations. One mindset leads to death presently and eternally. And one mindset leads to life presently and eternally. The flesh tilts those whose existence belongs to it towards death and sin because that is its nature. Why? Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. And Paul describes this vividly in Ephesians 2. Those who exist in the flesh walk in the ways of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air, the Satan, the evil spirit working in the disobedient, so that they live in their fleshly desires, carrying out the desires of their flesh and thoughts and are by nature, by their existence, children under wrath. Do you see? The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God 
because it does not submit to God's law. It is disobedient in desires and thoughts and actions by nature coming under wrath. And this mindset is hostile in this way because it is, as the flesh, weak. Right? That's what we saw in verse 3. And so therefore, Paul says here, it is unable to submit to God's law, which means it disobeys God's law. And so, brothers and sisters, listen. We must not expect anything but this kind of behavior for those who are locked in the existence of the flesh. Because those who are in the flesh, Paul says, cannot please God. They literally do not have it in them. In the flesh, without faith, without faith we read in Hebrews, what? It is impossible to please God. So is it any wonder that when we look around at our country and our state and our culture and our town that it appears that we are losing our collective minds? How else can we possibly make sense of an 18-year-old man in Dane County, Wisconsin walking into a shower room where four 14-year-old girls are showering and then disrobing and exposing himself while making the comment, oh, by the way, I'm trans. And how can we possibly make sense of a school board covering that up for two months before word got out? And how can we possibly make sense of a school board member defending such actions to a room full of rightly furious parents by saying, if she says she's a woman, then she's a woman. Therefore, they didn't see, and I'm not going to say the word, that male body part. They didn't see that in the shower. How can we make sense of that? It's insanity to clearly call someone who's a man a woman. In another example, how else can we make sense of 300 people coming from across our state to de defend our public library in our little town, having and making available books that encourage very young children to embrace destructive ideologies in direct contradiction to the beauty of how God has divined human sexuality? How can we make sense of that? And on and on, and on we could go with example after example. And what Paul is doing in a way that I think is incredibly helpful, and listen, we have to grab hold of this. Okay, the Bible is important to us in how we're going to walk in this community. He is saying the reason it makes sense is because these people are existing in the flesh. They, they have their minds set on the flesh and therefore they have a mindset that can and will only lead to death because they are hostile to God and they're not able to submit to God's law and they're unable to do so because they cannot please God. So don't be shocked even while we're shocked. They are unbelievers. Which could get me in trouble. Okay, I... Listen, seriously, I understand this. 
Understand that there are people who are professing certain things that were at that demonstration. But if they weren't unbelievers, I'm telling you what, they were acting like it. And they, they don't know the Messiah, or at least there were some who were acting like they don't know my king. And therefore, they are headed for death. Paul is very clear on this in Corinthians. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is so sobering. And listen, here's, here's the challenge for us as followers of Jesus in Salida. We should have righteous anger over such nonsense. Right? Nonsense. We should have righteous anger over such insanity. We should fight it. And we should push back. But we should do so with brokenhearted boldness. Grieving over the blindness and the nonsense of people who exist according to the flesh. Because they are headed for death. But there is good news here too (laughs) in the midst of this weightiness. You see, you, if you are here today and you believe in Jesus Messiah, you are no longer in the flesh, Paul says, but you are in the spirit, verse nine. You have been transferred from one realm of existence to another. And Paul didn't write this merely to people in Rome. Right? He, he wrote this all over his writings. He wrote this to people in Corinth and Ephesus. Listen to this. Take a good look. This is, this is from his writings. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I, I'm looking out. <laughs> if he was here, listen to what he says. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. I don't see many influential. Not many from high society families. I mean, isn't it obvious? You see, that is a biblical thing that it's obvious to the most casual observer. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women, unjust people who don't care about God and weren't going to be joining his kingdom? Those who used and abused each other, used and abused sex, used and abused the earth and everything in it. They didn't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. Look at each other. No, do that. (laughs) Look at each other. You know from experience what I'm talking about. Because you were on that list. And I was in that realm. I was of the flesh with that mindset. And since then, I've been cleaned up. And I've been given a fresh start by Jesus, the Messiah. And you know how he did that? By God present in me, through his spirit in me. And it is a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of you. It's a wonder. Instead, oh, we have to feel this immense in mercy and with incredible love. God embraced us. (laughs) That should shock you. (laughs) 
You should look in the mirror and go, me? <laughs> he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Messiah. And he did it on his own with no help from you. He picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Do you see, my brothers and my sisters, those who exist according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit and thus have a mindset of life and peace. This was and is the promise of the Messiah. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, transferred out of an existence in the flesh and hostility to God's law because the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death so that what follows, what follows is, well, listen to Jesus. John 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you, you who are connected and tied into me, existing in me, you do know him because he remains in you and will be with you. Okay. Ah! Like, okay, I mean, just, it says wow right there. As author Allison Cook writes, God responds, and uh, this is so beautiful, because I'm broken, and I needed this in my life, I need this in my life. God responds to human brokenness by transforming us from the inside out. You can't do this the other way around. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make all this look right. Stop trying. He, he does it from the inside out. And she points out, yeah, I'd never seen this before. I love the constant discovery in the Bible by the Spirit. Here's what she says. To help us understand that his spirit empowers us to live out the law, because that was the thing, right? Like, so that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. To help us understand that, the resurrected Jesus first poured out his spirit upon his disciples at Pentecost, which is the Jewish commemoration of the day that God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. I think that's on purpose. You can't fulfill the law. Moses gave you those tablets and you could never do it. You want to know how you're going to do it? Because I'm going to pour out the Spirit on you at the exact same day so long ago that this law came to you and that is how you'll finally do it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And what happened in Acts 2? A rush of the Spirit came upon them and filled them and empowered them. Man, we got to get a theology of the Spirit, y'all. We got to get a theology of the Spirit. We're going to be unique Baptists. 
And he did that to do what? To fulfill the law's requirements. And why did he do that? Why? Tell it to me. Verse one, so that there would be no condemnation. Disciples of Jesus exist according to the Spirit, verse 5. We are in the Spirit, verse 9. The Spirit of God lives in us, verse 9. And because we have the Spirit of Messiah, we belong to him, verse 9. So it is that we must have our mindset on the Spirit, verse 5, so that we have a mindset of the Spirit, which is a mindset of life and of peace, verse 6. Are you picking up a theme? I love... I love how the creator of our bodies and souls and minds knows best about the power of our bodies and souls and our minds. God knows that when sanctified and purified with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the creative mind is a powerful faculty for helping process and heal and change our life experiences and our living, but only by the power of the Spirit. One of my One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, spoke of this when he talked about the baptism of his imagination as absolutely critical to his spiritual growth. It's how we say we want to grow one step closer to Jesus. You know, I don't want to make that sentence any longer than that, but you should think in your head, by the power of the Spirit. That's how I'm going to grow one step closer to Jesus, which brothers and sisters raises some important questions. How are we forming our minds? What are we doing to access and care for our own complex thoughts and feelings, which if we did that would lead to deeper experiences of healing and spiritual living? That's what we say here, the good news plus safety plus time because it takes a lot of time for complicated, complex people to process these really complex thoughts and feelings. What are we putting in our minds? What are we exposing them to? What are we setting our minds on? Are they the things of the Spirit so that we have a mindset of the Spirit? And if not, if we are setting our minds on the things of the flesh, why do we get so shocked and surprised at the outcome? Think of what is possible for the believer. Just think of this. We exist according to the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God is inside of us. Thus, we have the power to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. I don't want to hear from anybody. I just can't do it. Well, of course you can't. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. And he he did that so that we would have in order to create a mindset of the spirit, a habitual or characteristic mental attitude that determines how we're going to interpret and respond to situations, a mental attitude that will reflexively respond to situations around us, causing us to see them and interpret them and understand them in a very specific way, a way that will be able to please God. Because that's the flip side of, right? If you're in the flesh, it's not possible for you to please God. But if you're in the spirit, can't we say it is? Brothers and sisters, Paul is talking about a state we live in, not an ideal, an ideal to aim for. Okay? You've got to get that in your head. 
you're not walking out of here going, okay, I got to work hard to get into that state. No, no. This is the state that you are in. Michael Bird says, the tension between the spirit and the flesh is not some kind of internal war waged within us with our fleshly nature battling our, spiritually na- our spiritual nature. Many of us are going to say, oh, that's the way I always thought it was. It's not. The hostility between the spirit and the flesh is not the hostility between two conflicting components of one's self, but two external powers vying for the self. The struggle against sin and old habits and temptation, and and don't get me wrong, they are very real, should not be construed as the ongoing conflict within me. Rather, the struggle denotes the force of my old self, okay, get this, trying to come back and regain control over me. It is not that our heart is in a perpetual state of civil war with itself. Instead, it's more like our heart is a fortress that is constantly besieged and attacked by a wicked tyrant who once resided there but was defeated and exiled by Jesus, hallelujah, yet desperately wants to get back in and so launches frontal and all kinds of rear guard assaults. And the experience of the Christian is that sometimes boy, one of those stinking soldiers slips away in, don't he? Right? Or he gets something over the wall of the fortress. But what we have to believe is that this territory, this isn't his anymore. This is not the flesh's anymore. This belongs to Jesus. And he has never lost. Never. There is no one who is able to snatch you out of his hand, which includes you. Not not even you can take yourself away from Jesus. That's good stuff. (laughs) And we feel, we feel all this, don't we? I mean, okay, this is, unlike Romans 7, this is describing the life of a believer with this fight that's happening of the flesh attacking us. We feel it. He, he says it in verse 10, because if Messiah is in us, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. In other words, we still experience some of the effects of sin in this life, in this body. We've not been fully delivered yet, even though God dwells in us, which is picking frustrating. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm so tired of living in the tension of the now and not yet. We live awaiting glorification and new creation. But as we wait, Paul is very clear. The spirit gives life because of the righteous covenant faithfulness of God, because we've been placed into and are being transformed into the image of the Messiah, growing one step closer each day to Jesus in proximity and likeness. And you should be asking right now, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, he says, it's by having your mind set on the things of the spirit to create a mindset of life and peace. I mentioned Michael Bird earlier. He, he elaborates on this as well. He, he says that resisting the flesh... Resisting the flesh requires discipline. Discipline. 
in regards to disciples of Jesus. Discipline in regards to what we do, what we say, and what we think. It requires vigilance and keeping our hearts on guard at all times against intrusion. He says it this way, in in the same way that you don't give your credit card details to a suspicious website, don't give in to the flesh. In the same way that you wouldn't hand over your children to a babysitter who is drunk, don't give in to the flesh. In the same way that you don't allow a doctor to operate on you if he has a degree on the wall from the University of Kellogg Cereal, don't give in to the flesh. Do not think about, entertain, dream, or imagine what surrender to a dangerous, unwholesome, or sordid thing would be like. Okay, you got to listen to that because your life depends on this. Don't entertain those thoughts when they come in, when the flesh tempts you. Don't play around with that. Do not let it in. Do not give in to the flesh. You are of the Spirit, and the Spirit of the living God is in you. You exist in the Spirit, and in those moments, embrace and hold fast to the Spirit of God in you. My brothers and sisters, you are surrounded by a culture awash in the things of the flesh. You are immersed in a flood of the things of the flesh that come at you through multiple pathways, especially through screens. Have you thought about how many screens you are surrounded by on a daily basis? Your laptop, your desktop, that ginormous 80-inch TV that you just had to have. We have screens on our wrists. We have screens in our pockets that allow a constant and never-ending access to a flood of the flesh in the forms of sexual immorality and adultery and fornication, sexually charged media, materialism and consumption, goods and services, social media that inflates the ego and tempts to exert power over us or provide it to exert power over others, a flood of the flesh that the Apostle Paul just might be shocked by if he were here. And we must never give up. And we must never surrender. And we must never give in to the flesh. And you know what I'd like to do right now? I I would like to speak to men in particular right now. Okay, so I I was going to say I'm sorry, ladies, but I'm not. Because I think the role of men given to God, given, given to us by God to be leaders and protectors in our church and in our families is huge when I think about the spiritual war that we are in. And I think of that in relation to what cultural bravado and conceptions of manliness sometimes falsely portray. So men, you want to be tough? You want to be tough. You want to be a stud? You want to be a man's man? Then don't give in to the flesh. Don't listen to the filthy joke at work. Don't give in to unwholesome speech. 
Don't participate in sinful activities. And men, we got to help each other in this as men to be vigilant and keep our collective hearts on guard at all times against intrusion so that we, you see, we are not just protecting ourselves, men. God has called you to protect your wives from the flesh. God has called you to protect your children from the flesh. Oh, how I've been convicted this week in a new way. What will I allow on Netflix? What will I allow on Hulu? What will I allow into my mind as a man? And we must never give in and never surrender. And we must set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that we have a mindset of life and peace. That's the only way that's going to happen. And we must do this with a confidence for our present that is born out of a hope for our future. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he does, then he who raised Messiah from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. (laughs) This is the reason for hope. Even as we live in a context and culture of a people who are literally losing their minds because they exist according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh in a mindset that is death and leads to death that is all around us. In verse 11, we find the glaring and glorious and triumphant hope for those of us who still live in bodies that are dead because of sin. Namely, it is the spirit of him, of God himself, who raised Jesus. Jesus, the human, from the dead, lives in us so that we can trust and believe and stake all our lives and all our hopes on the reality that he who raised Messiah who represents all God's people from the dead, will therefore also bring our mortal bodies to life. Thank you. (laughs) And if we have our minds set on this, energetically and frequently, because that's what it means to set your mind on something, it would create a mindset in us that would carry us through flesh-crazed times. That's what it would do. My oldest son is a senior correspondent for the evening news of a major station in Wisconsin. He was sent to cover that school board meeting about the man showering with girls that I mentioned earlier. And he called to talk about it with me. That's how I found out about it. And he was just, he was just stunned. He was shocked by what he heard at the meeting what he heard from leaders in his community. Would you like to hear his response? Dad, how did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where this isn't even questioned? How did we get to the point where, where this is okay? What is happening to us, Dad? I feel like I might be living in the generation when it all falls apart. And when I read history and I see empires that fell, they didn't just fall from number one to number two, Dad. They fell to like a number 140. And I don't want to live in the generation when that happens, Dad. And it's just all so very depressing. What would you say to your son in that moment on the phone? I know what you should say. 
And I said it to him. If he, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and if he who raised the Messiah from the dead lives in you, he will also raise your mortal body through his spirit who lives in you, son. In other words, son, this is what I said to him. It may sound trite, but it's true. We know how all things end. We understand why they are the way they are. And even as we grieve it, we don't have to be afraid, son. Because we know that one day Jesus will come back and he will make all things right. And he's going to bring us through all of this, through the worst of it, through death to the other side where there will be life like we've never known it. And if you're wondering, this is exactly how I talk on the phone. And he's come to the come to say, like, I wouldn't expect anything else from you, Dad. But this is our hope. And if Paul would have been on that phone call, I think he would have added something that he said to the Corinthians. Worship team, would you come up? He would have added, he would have added this to my son. I didn't think about this until Thursday. <laughs> so we're not giving up. We're not giving up. Okay, this is in the Bible, folks. Corinthians. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life. Woo! Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There is far more here than meets the eye. The things that we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that we cannot see now last forever. For instance, <laughs> we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade, and we will never have to relocate our tents again. Hallelujah, I hate moving. Sometimes we can hardly wait for that move. And so, of course, we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetites by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He gives us a little bit of heaven in our hearts. Why? So that we'll never settle for less. That is why we live with such good cheer. You will not see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Oh, family, let's stop being the worst advertisement for Christianity that there is. We know what's coming. This is nothing compared to what's coming. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose that a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we will be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our future is incredibly bright. <laughs> Why? Because we exist according to the Spirit and have our mind set on the Spirit and we have a mindset of the Spirit which is life and peace because the Spirit of God lives in us. The Messiah lives in us which means we belong to Him and the Spirit gives us life because the Spirit who raised Jesus Messiah from the dead will also raise our mortal bodies from the dead through His Spirit who lives in us allowing us to live both now and forever with what? No condemnation. Okay, let's try it again. With what? Amen.